Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. About a quarter of a century ago, every Monday I'd go to lunch with a friend of mine who has since passed away. He was a battle surgeon from World War II and was a doctor in Oklahoma, retired here. Some of you knew him. His name was Dr. Bill, Wild Bill. And if you ever met him, you wonder where he got that moniker, Wild Bill, because he was very quiet, very retiring. One day, we uh, went to a restaurant on the east side of town. We frequented it uh, fairly often. And right there between the salad and the desserts on the back wall, there was one of these signs, you know, where they could, the employees could put a quote of the day. And one of the employees had put the quote by Vladimir Nabokov, who is the author of Lolita. But it wasn't from Lolita, it was from his autobiography, Speak Memory. And this is what Nabokov said. You've probably seen this quote somewhere on the internet. The cradle rocks above the abyss. And common sense tells us that our existence is but a brief crack of light between two eternal darknesses. Wow. You know, that restaurant is no longer there. The person who put it up has long since departed. And his quote is consigned to the ash heap of history. Because I believe what the scripture tells us, that our existence is really something of a brief pilgrimage, a shadowy one at that, but a brief pilgrimage between two eternal glories. And right now we're learning how to live there someday. We've been talking about worship for the past three months. For those of you who are visiting, let me do a very brief review of what we've discovered from the scripture over the past 12 or 13 weeks. We've described worship as that kind of pilgrimage where God invites us to walk with him. Worship, it doesn't happen just here, but it is walking every day with the Lord. We shouldn't be casual about it. He invites us into his presence, and when he does, we walk with the awesome, almighty, holy God about whom we have spoken today. He is holy, 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 Lord God almighty. And he calls us then to confess our sin as we did this morning in our prayer of confession that Jay led us in. And when we do that, he is faithful and just and he forgives us of all of our sin and cleanses us of all of our unrighteousness. And then he commissions us to go out daily to worship him and serve him wherever we go. And as we do, we're reminded that that daily worship is worshiping of the king. The king and all of his holiness, we go forward as servants of a king, as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We worship when we come here and when we depart with gladness. We do that because as we pray, he restores the joy of our salvation and he renews the right spirit, as you heard in the prayer this morning, within us. 
We're guided in our worship, as Ben has told us again this morning, by God's Word. It is what guides the worship here and as we go out there, and it feeds the deepest need that we have in life, and that is to experience God. We have done it here. We have sung a new song. And we do it when we go out there. We sing new songs, but we sing old songs anew as well here and beyond this sanctuary. We go out and we sing with all creation and we bless his name. We have taken the offering this morning. That is our expression of thanks to God. We thank God. It's one of our expressions. But we thank God also by giving when we leave here. It's not just by giving in the offering plate, but it is by sacrificing every day and giving to him in that kind of sacrificial action. We serve God as we depart here and as we worship here as his priests. We are, in fact, a royal priesthood, and our job is to offer up spiritual sacrifices in building his spiritual house, and we are living stones in that house. And we preach, we proclaim, we proclaim the gospel, and not just the fellow who's standing behind the pulpit this morning. We all go forward to proclaim the word of God. We go beyond the pulpit and we go beyond verbal proclamation, although that is expected of each one of us, but we also live out the gospel so that people can see in our lives the good news proclaimed. And then we talked about last week what the Father seeks. And the Father seeks what? Those who will worship him here, help me congregation, in what? In spirit and in truth. And that's what he seeks. And today we then come to preparing for forever. What we do here as we worship here is in fact preparing for eternity, for worship in our eternal home. You know, Shakespeare put it a little differently. He didn't talk about a brief crack of light, but he talked about our entrance and our exit into the stage of life. The world is but a stage and every woman and every man is but a player. We have our exits and we have our entrances. And he said, every person, every man and every woman plays many, many parts during that stage appearance and probably at least seven stages. Well, as we think about what Nabokov said and what the scripture says, and you look at the comparison, this life is not like a snapshot. It's not like a brief crack of light. And darkness is not on either side. In fact, it's like a play. It's like a stage play that we see unfolding in Scripture and, in fact, in three acts leading up to Revelation, the text today. And we have glimpses in each one of those acts with its scenes about what heaven is like, what we are someday going to enter. The first stage with the three, the first act with the three stages from the Old Testament. Three scenes, Jacob in Genesis 28. He sees Jacob's ladder. He's called Jacob's ladder. It's the Lord's ladder. And he sees angels ascending and descending upon it and God, the father of his father, Abraham, at the top, promising him the land of Canaan. Scene two, we see Moses and Aaron and his sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they, as they ascend Mount Sinai, and they catch a glimpse of God who is standing upon, as it were, a sea of glass that is like sapphire. We begin to get a glimpse of heaven come down. Third scene in the first act, we come to Micaiah, the son of Imla. Not Micah, but this is another 
minor prophet that we don't have a book of. In 2 Chronicles, the 18th chapter at Ramoth Gilead, he is called before Jehoshaphat and Ahab to prophesy what's going to happen if they go into battle against the Arameans. And he proclaims the destruction of Israel and also the death of Ahab. But in the meantime, he also gives them a glimpse of heaven. He says that I see heaven being opened up. I see the throne of God. And he's holding counsel with his hosts. End of Act 1. Act 2, the major prophets then. Scene 1, we have heard this morning as Leo Cardia read from Isaiah the 6th chapter in its fullness. In the middle of the 8th century, in the year that King Uzziah died. He went into the temple and he saw heaven come down. He saw God enthroned and he saw his train filling the temple and he saw the seraphim, the angels with the, seven, the six wings. And then he realized that he was undone because he heard them proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And then we see the second scene and the second act, Ezekiel, in three phases. Ezekiel, the first chapter, in the middle of the sixth, near the end of the sixth century, in captivity in Babylon, he sees a vision that is stirred by a storming wind and flashing fire. And out of that come the four living creatures with the four wings and the four faces like a human and a lion and an eagle and a bull. And the four living creatures bring glory to the Lord who is sitting there glowing like a fiery ember sitting on his throne of sapphire, not darkness, surrounded by a radiant rainbow. And the next scene in Ezekiel, he sees the Lord then giving him a scroll. And on that scroll, it is full front and back. And the Lord tells him to eat that scroll. It is full of the prophecies that he is about to give to Israel, full of lamentation, mourning, and woe. And in the last part of Ezekiel's vision, he then sees, like Isaiah, the temple being filled with the glory of God, the cherubim with four wings and four wheels, and the four wheels have faces like humans and lions and eagles and angels. And then instantly, the spirit and the glory of the Lord depart the temple. And the last phase of this second act, Daniel, we see then the Ancient of Days sitting on his fiery throne with the wheels of burning fire and a river of fire pouring forth from him. He is robed in pure white. His hair is pure like wool. Millions minister to him, and hundreds of millions stand before him in his heavenly court as he then holds forth the book of judgment, and it is opened. And then we see the Son of Man coming forward in the clouds of heaven, presented to the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, who is the precursor to, of course, Jesus Christ, is given glory and dominion over an indestructible kingdom that includes people from all nations and all races and all languages. And the closing instructions in Daniel are these. Daniel, what I have told you now, keep secret. There is a book that I have presented, and it is the book of the living and the dead, those that will live forever and those who will die forever. It is sealed. The final revelation that I give you, seal it up, and it will not be opened until the end of time. And then we come to the third act. We come to the new covenant. Jesus saw heaven being torn open at his baptism. And as he catches a glimpse then of the heavenly home from where he has come, he sees the Spirit descending upon him as a dove. And we don't know whether John saw 
heaven opened, but we know that John saw the dove descend upon the Lord. And then in the next scene, Stephen, as he is being martyred, you know, he looks into heaven and he sees, as it were, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the last scene of the third act, we have Paul telling us, and we think it may have been Paul, we're not sure. In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, he says, I knew a man, probably Paul, 14 years ago, he had a vision, and he looked up into the third heaven, and that is, of course, paradise. And the things that he saw were inexpressible in human language, which a man is not permitted to speak. That same paradise Jesus has spoken about to the thief on the cross. He said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in that paradise. That same paradise John talks about in Revelation in the second chapter to the church at Ephesus. He says, to those of you who overcome, you have this promise. You will eat of the tree of life in that paradise. And so in these three acts, we see glimpses of heaven. And then we come to Revelation, the fourth and the fifth chapters. John on the Isle of Patmos, of course, that tiny little island, only 13 square miles big, 35 miles off of the coast of Asia Minor and the Aegean Sea. And God comes in the form of the Spirit and speaks the revelation of Jesus Christ that he is to give to the seven churches of Asia. And he speaks at the beginning of that revelation about Jesus Christ being the ruler of all earthly kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come like the Son of Man with hair that is perfectly white, flaming eyes, glowing feet, the voice like many waters. This is not darkness on either side of a brief crack of light. Once dead, he says, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. And he stands then amongst the seven lampstands that then represent the seven churches. And he holds in his hands the seven stars, which are the angels of the seven churches. And then he proclaims the message to the seven churches found in chapters 2 and 3. And in each one of those messages, he promises to him who overcomes, he will then be blessed. And we come to chapters 4 and 5. We're going to read significant sections of 4 and 5 in just a moment. What I want us to understand here is this gives us the fullest picture of heaven after those three acts that we're going to have until we come to the very end of Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And in these two chapters, we have described for us heavenly worship. We have described for us what we are going to be doing forever in eternity. We have described for us what we ought to be rehearsing now. There are four songs that are given in these two chapters. The chapter 4, we find the first two songs. You see, John is raised up to the open door of heaven to receive the revelation of things to come. God is on his throne. It doesn't say God. There is one on the throne, but we know it is God in his brilliant radiance. And he's surrounded by, as we've already heard, the emerald rainbow. And around his throne are 24 thrones. And on those thrones are the 24 elders. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out probably what that's symbolic of. The 12 tribes of Israel, most probably, and the 12 apostles. It's also representative of the priesthood of God's kingdom because there had been 24 priests 
and the courses of the Old Testament. It is his priesthood that Peter speaks about in chapter 2 of his first letter. Before the throne are the seven burning lamps, which I believe represent the churches, and the seven spirits of God, which I think are not the seven angels, but I think this represents the fullness of the glory of the Holy Spirit before God the Father. And in the center, right next to the throne, are the four living creatures that stand upon the sea of glass. And they have the image very much like what we have seen in Ezekiel, the image of a human and a lion and an eagle and a calf. And they are very much like the prophecy in Ezekiel. And they, res- they represent, I think, all of the living creatures in God's creation. That's the setting for chapter 4. The setting for chapter 5, which I will not repeat before we read the passage, has the final two songs. God is on his throne and he holds a book in his right hand. And this is the fullest revelation of God yet. You see, it's written on the front and on the back, which was atypical of scrolls of that day, very much like the scroll that was presented to Ezekiel. And it is sealed very much like Daniel's scroll was to be sealed. It's sealed with seven seals until the end of time. And then the strong angel stands up and he says, Who? Who is worthy to open the book and break the seals? And it is dead silent. And John stands there very sadly because nobody is able to open the book. And then one of the elders comes up alongside him and he reassures him. He says, don't worry. There is one who is able to do so because you see, he has overcome. He has promised those churches that if they will be steadfast and overcome, they will be blessed in eternity. And who is this one who has overcome? The elder says, it is the lion from the tribe of Judah. It is the root of David. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Revelation 4 and 5? And in the first two songs, listen for them. Beginning in verse number 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within, and day and night they did not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because your will they existed and are created and then we come to chapter 5 beginning in verse number 6 and I saw between the throne the four living creatures and the elders and a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he came And he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain. And you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked, and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. At every created thing, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May God bless the reading of his word and the singing of his four songs. Let's be seated. In those two passages, I believe there are four songs. Some say there are five. I see the Trinitarian hymn in chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, which we sang this morning. I believe there's a creator song in chapter 4, verse 11. There is obviously the new song in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and I believe that it is continued in verse number 12. And then there's a cosmic hymn that is found in verse 13 of chapter 5. There is a refrain that runs through all of these songs and hymns. And the refrain is this, honor and glory. Honor and glory are in all of the songs. But each song has a unique focus in addition to that. And I want us to unfold that for just a moment because I believe this is teaching us about what we ought to be about in worship here. These songs direct our songs. They direct our new song that we sing as we leave here. The Trinitarian hymn, obviously, is first. In verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4, it's by the four living creatures. And remember, I think that they represent all living creatures, terrestrial creatures on earth. And they don't really sing so much. They chant, because you'll notice that it says, they did not cease to what? Say. And what do they say? They chant, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. The unique focus of this hymn, I believe, is thanksgiving. Because you see, right after that, it says then what these creatures are doing. They're bringing glory and honor. There's the refrain. And they are also bringing thanks to God. Thanks for what? Not thanks for what he's done, but thanks for who he is. Who is he? Well, he's absolute sovereign. He is the Lord God, the Almighty. He is Lord, possessor, and disposer of everything that exists. He is God, supreme deity, before all and above all creation. He is Almighty. He is the ruler of all kings and potentates. He is also perfect, another dimension of his character. He is perfect in triune holiness. What does it mean when we say holy, holy, holy? Well, we mean that each person is holy. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. But it's also the sum of holiness. He's not just holy. He's holy, holy. He's holier than anything. He's not just holier. He is holy, holy, holy. He is holiest of all. And He is eternal being. And for this we give thanks. He is the forever one who was and who is, and help me congregation, and is to come. We sang this morning, 
We rehearsed for what we're going to do in eternity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the what? The glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who wert and art and evermore shall be. That is the Trinitarian hymn. The second song is the Creator song found in verse number 11 of chapter 4. This is by the 24 elders, that is, the priesthood of the believers, all believers from both covenants, the old and the new, representing all of God's faithful ones, and they, pre, they sing praise to the Lord God. Why? Well, it's contained in the song, because he is worthy. He deserves praise. He is worthy for what he has done. What has he done? Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. The unique focus of this hymn, this song, beyond glory and honor, is power. They give thanks for the power of God. They give thanks to God because He's creator, the maker of everything, the author of all life. Paul stands on Mars Hill and he tells those pagan philosophers, you know who you are really should be worshiping, this unknown God. It is in Him, as I quote one of your poets, it is in Him that we live and move and have our being. He is the author of life. He is the uncreated one, not formed by human art, not even conceived in human thought. He is not an idol. You know, in our hymn book, if you were to open it up to number 19, we rehearse singing that song when we sing, I sing the mighty power of God. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. We rehearse for what we're going to do in eternity. And there is a new song in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, first stanza, and verse number 12, second stanza. Some want to make these two songs. I think they're part of the same song, two stanzas. The first stanza is sung by terrestrial beings in verses 9 and 10, and they are joined by the celestial angelic chorus in verse 12. The first stanza it's by the terrestrial elders and the creatures. Now they have come together to sing the first stanza to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who is worthy. He is worthy. He deserves praise because what he has done. Listen to the song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you see, you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood persons men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them a what? You have made them a kingdom of priests for God, and they will reign upon the earth. And this then forecasts the promise that is given in Revelation 22. We will not only serve eternally, but we will reign with him forever. You see, he deserves praise for doing two things in this hymn. His blood has redeemed God's people from every nation, fulfilling the covenant of redemption in eternity. And he has made them a kingdom of priests to serve God forever. And then comes the second stanza, the celestial stanza. The angels join the elders and the living creatures. Innumerable angels, hundreds of millions, it says, plus millions more. Are there a, is there enough room for them in heaven? Absolutely. 
before we began the worship this morning, we looked at the size of heaven, and we, I know it's metaphorical, I know it's allegorical, but 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, that doesn't sound like very much, but it is huge. Heaven is even bigger than that. That's just a metaphor. These innumerable angels then sing with the creatures and the elders. Worthy is the Lamb. Why is He worthy? Not just because of what He has done, but because of His nature and His character. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive what? Look at it. Here is the focus. It picks up on the second song where it left off. The second song focused on power, and it picks up with that. He is worthy because of not only honor and glory, but because of power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, the focus there is on the character of Jesus Christ. And it ends with what? With blessing. There's another stanza of this song that comes later. We don't have time to go into it in depth, but it's found two chapters later in Revelation 7. And there, there are innumerable, there's an innumerable multitude. It doesn't define who this multitude is, but they sing in verse number 10 of chapter 7, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, that's why I think it's a continuation of this new song. And it summarizes the praise and the attributions, almost all of them, that we have seen in the first three songs. It speaks about the blessing and the glory and the honor and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the power and the might that we sing praises to God for and we ascribe to Him. We do this when we sing from our hymnal, hymn number 354. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our what? Blessed Redeemer. You see, this is the song of redemption. Sing, O earth, His wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, archangels in glory, strength and honor give to his holy name. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with hosannas, sing. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown him, crown him, prophet and priest and king. And then we come to the final song, the cosmic hymn. All the cosmos joins in. Verse number 13, chapter 5, look at it. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, you see it all comes together, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever, sung by all of creation. The background of this is we know that after the fall, all of creation has groaned and waited for the fulfillment of redemption, Paul tells us in in Romans 8, chapter. This song celebrates the completion of God's redemptive plan and the restoring of His creative order as He had begun it. All creation now joins in completely, totally, whether they have followed God or not, whether they believe or not, whether they are the person that put that quote up in the cafeteria or Nabokov himself, living and dead, all creatures then join in affirming the lordship of God. All creation sings, it says, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea. And they reiterate the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ, who has been given a name above all names, so that at the pronunciation of his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All creatures, terrestrial and celestial, angelic, human, and animal, join in this cosmic song sung to the enthroned God and to the Lamb of God. The unique focus here 
it picks up where the last song left off with blessing, and of course it has glory and honor, and then it ends in dominion. The blessing which picks up from the angelic chorus then consummates in a crescendo, the dominion of God, his supreme authority and his might and his providential supervision of all creation brought to conclusion. We rehearse that song today when we sang praise to the Lord, when the choir sang praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Praise him in glad adoration. We rehearse now for what we are going to join into in eternity. All creatures worshiping God. So how do we apply all of this? Let me sum it up this way. For the last three months, we have been talking, and next week we will finish talking about what worship is. We know that it's not only what we do here. It's what we do there. It's walking with the Lord and serving Him. But it does not diminish the necessity of our rehearsing and coming together as a gathered body and to learn the choruses that we will be singing in eternity. But it's not just what we do with our mouths. It's what we do in our spiritual sacrifices before God. You see, in preparation for eternal worship, here and now, we put it all on the altar, not just here, but when we go there. We ascribe to God praise and every perfect attribute to God alone. What I mean by that is if you look at the focal points of those four songs and the attributes that we sing about, He has endowed us with kind of echoes of those attributes. He has endowed us with many of those things that we have sung about. What do we do with them? Though we have received them on loan from God, not a single one of those attributes belongs to us permanently. No thanks, for example, that we get from anyone that we have ever helped or served belongs to us. No power that we wield, regardless of how high we may rise, no riches of this world, and we cannot take it off of this globe, belong to us permanently. No human wisdom, no knowledge, no philosophic insight really compares to the wisdom of God. No mighty abilities, no might that we have that we exercise on His behalf, no blessings and benevolence that we share with others in the offering plate or out there when we leave here that He enables us to share. None of those blessings belong to us. No dominion that He has given us. And He gives each one of you dominion within a certain sphere. No dominion that He has given us, however extensive, belongs to us permanently, even though He allows us to exercise it here. No, what we do, we ascribe those to God. And you know what we said about ascribing. That means that we lift them up, we give them up to Him. And this is what we rehearse, not just here, but when we walk out of here. All of those things that He has made us to be, we offer up as spiritual sacrifices. We give them up to Him for His use and for His service. If we're ever praised, if we're ever complimented, and that is a right thing, I think, for people to do to people that have done good things for them, not praise in the sense of praising God, but thanks and praise and compliment 
Any of those that you receive or I receive, we yield to the glory of God. You see, the refrain that runs through all of these songs is what? Glory and honor belong only to God. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.